Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together, of being here together as family, to laugh, to smile, to break bread together, to be encouraged by the very word of truth. Father, it's such a privilege to be here. May we never become familiar with your grace, your mercy, and that which motivates that, which is love. We pray for those in the congregation, Father, that can't be with us here this morning. Our prayers go out to them, for them. We want them to know that we're with them in spirit. Please do return them to us so that we can fellowship with them in your perfect timing, of course. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world without hope, that they be humbled before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for the work your Son, our Lord and Savior, accomplished on a cross 2,000 years ago. Father, we just pray for this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 24 of Proverbs 17, Wisdom, the Spirit has spent a lot of time on the following principle up here in the board as of late. The fact is that commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. Commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. Let's consider a perfect example of this. Go to Hebrews 11, verse 8. Hebrews 11, verse 8. Just start off with Abram or Abraham. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 8. Hebrews 11, verse 8. So we're just going to look at an example, a familiar one. But certainly, uh, you know, Holy Scripture never gets old. Hebrews 11, 8. And this is what, you know, a lot of people colloquially called uh, the, you know, Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith, right? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And this is the key. And he went out not knowing where he was going. <clears throat> not knowing where he was going. That's the key, and that has everything to do with the point on the board. He went out not knowing where he was going. Look at verse 9. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So I want to read the point of reference here. And again, just as we read this, you're going to hear the, the name Abram. Uh, Abram is Abraham before God changed his name in Genesis 17. So we're going back to Genesis 12 before that time, before he became Abraham. His name was Abram. Go to Genesis 12.1. We're just going to read the account uh, that Hebrews 11 refers to. 
Genesis 12, verse 1. And keep in mind the point on the board. Genesis 12, 1. <clears throat> now, verse 1, Genesis 12. Genesis 12, 1. Verse 1 of Genesis 12. Are you guys there? I'm just trying to fill in some time because it took you guys a while. I'm like, Jesus, the first book, guys, come on. All right, Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, okay, that's Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, in other words, everything you're comfortable with, go from all of that to the land that I will show you. Okay, has he shown him yet? No, he says, take off, just like we just saw in Hebrews 11. Just go, I'll show it to you when, my, when it's good for me to show it to you. But this is also a test of faith. And obviously, many of you can start relating to this. Well, actually, all of us can start relating to this. So note that the Lord does not say where he's sending him, a la Hebrews 11.8, which is what we just read. Verse 2, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. See all the wills? All future. Abram doesn't know. So he has to take it on faith, right? He has to obey by means of faith. Okay? Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, or Abram went, as the Lord had told him. So he just left, in other words. Okay? That's the show of faith. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, okay, put yourself in his shoes, 75. Most 75-year-olds I know, they don't want to pick up and move anywhere. They are, they're like, their feet are welded to the ground, to their little, you know what I'm saying, there's a little worn-out path between their home and Hannaford's and back. And, of course, the pharmacy. You know, if there's not one in Hannaford's, I don't know. That place is too highfalutin for me. Just kidding, right? 75-year-olds are welded to their abodes. God says to Abram, I want you to pick up everything. Your house, your wife, your possessions. I want you to pick up everything. And what did he do? Abraham went. Or Abram went, excuse me. He went, as the Lord had told him. What do we call that? Faith. And he dragged his entourage with him, which included Lot and Sarai. Um, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Verse 5. And Abram took Sarai, his wife. Uh, some of you know her as Sarah. Her name changed as well. Abram, uh, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan, okay? When they came to the land of Canaan, etc., etc., okay? So Abram, the point is, Abram picked up his entire life. He picked up his entire life and moved when God asked him to. 
He didn't just take himself either. He took his family and all he owned. So ask yourselves, if God asked you today to pick up all you owned and just said, you know, start walking westward, let's say. I'll tell you when to stop. I want you to pick up everything. Your possessions, you know, create a little caravan. And I just want you to start, just head west. Where, Lord? Doesn't matter. Do you trust me or not? Just start walking, okay? How would you feel about that? And better yet, how would your family feel about it? Your entourage. Would you likely have to deal with complaining and questioning family members? You hear it? Yeah, because she knows. Who's to say Sarai and Lot weren't murmuring in his ear the whole time? I'm being serious. We don't know if they did, but we certainly don't know if they didn't. And based on experience, chances are, right? Remember Moses with all those people? (laughs) Most of us go on a trip through well-appointed airports with just a few overnight bags, and it's a crap show. (laughs) Right? Oh, my God. This is unbelievable. A 30-minute delay? Right? Unbelievable. And you know where you're going. You're going to, like, I don't know, Florida or Bahamas or, I don't know, Mexico. Somewhere probably nice. That's why you're going. God forbid. At least you know where you're going. How would you like if God says, get on that stupid plane, shut up, and go? Would he talk like that? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Verse 5, look at it again. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Iran, and he set out to go to the land of Canaan when they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. Uh, Morah. Uh, at the time, the Canaanites, uh, Canaanites were uh, in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So finally he arrived. He got note of where they were supposed to stop. But again, the point, the principle on the board, up here on the board, commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. Okay? Commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. Faith ensures you play by the rules so to speak, even. Faith ensures that you play by the rules, that your obedience isn't fraudulent. That makes sense? That your obedience isn't fraudulent. Go to 2 Timothy 2.5. 2 Timothy 2, verse 5. Obviously, the Spirit doesn't want to let this go. We've been on this for, I don't know, three, four messages now. He just doesn't want to let it go. And it's not a beatdown, right? It's encouraging. It's to build you up. It's to clear the air of any misconceptions you might have about obedience, to make sure that you're not just going through the motions, you see, um, for your sake. Okay? 2 Timothy 2.5, an athlete is not crowned 
unless he competes according to the rules. Unless he competes according to the rules. I always get a kick out of that. I used to play golf a lot, right? And uh, people, I'd be like, hey, how'd you end up shooting? I'd be playing with this person, right? How'd you shoot? Oh, I shot like an 85. And I'd be saying to myself, but you took like three mulligans off the tee. You were already at like 80 after the first hole. Kick it, you know, moving the ball, giving yourself preferred lies in the fairway, all this kind of stuff. While this guy played by the rules, somehow we're this close on the scorecard? No. No, I always get a kick out of that. It's because people want the bragging rights, right? They want to say, oh, I shot really well. But did you actually compete according to the rules? I saw one, um, I don't know how, how I even came upon this, but one of the marathons that uh, are run annually, a big one, it might have been Boss, I can't remember, but uh, a set of twin guys, twins, alternated throughout the race. The other one would drive forward. Five miles, right? Rest, drive forward while the other one ran his butt off, right? Then they'd swap out and he would run for five and they would do that thing over and over. And they like, I think they either won or came in like, they were like the surprise winner. They were twins. You know what helped bag them? They had watches and the dummies wore it on each different sides. So when they took pictures, like, what's this guy doing in the middle of the race? And when is he doing it? Anyways. People don't care how they win now. Is that fair? They just care that they get the accolades of winning. Right? And that's not how God works. You don't get blessed for being that way. Again, verse 5, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. In other words, the rewards God gives, you ready? He gives to the faithful. He gives to the faithful. The rewards God gives, he gives to the faithful. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about a certain kind of faithfulness. You ready? We're going to spend a lot of time on this this morning because this is a massive subject. Massive. Okay, it'll make a lot more sense when we dig in. Up here on the board, Luke 16:10 One who is faithful in a very little or in very little is also faithful in much. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Hmm. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Listen, God's the person who watches how we do all the little things. Because we're not around each other all the time, right? No one's with one person all the time. And no one's, come on, no one's got a little pad, you know, and accounting for every little thing we do. But God sees everything, always, okay? 
So he's the one who watches how we do all the little things, not just the so-called big stuff. So I'm just going to separate for the sake of this morning's message for this lesson the distinction between the little things and the big things. Okay, The little things, a lot of times, no one ever sees. The big things, a lot of times, everybody sees. That kind of a thing. Okay, But God sees everything. And, he's pl- and this is the deal. He pays especially close attention to the little things. To the little things. Why? What did we just read up here on the board? One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. God sees all the little things. In the parable of the talents, Jesus says the following up here on the board, Matthew 25, 21, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Again, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy. We might even say that joy is related to the little things. That living a consistent, persistent life of integrity to little things is what brings you joy. I, I think about that a lot. Like people, and it's wonderful to look forward to a Sunday. I look forward to Sunday mornings every week. It's wonderful. But, and it is a bit of, it is a highlight, right? But how, how joyful am I going to be if that's all I've got? In other words, I just, you know, go through the week. You know, and I, I don't do any of the little things. I just ignore all the little things. And I just wait for that big thing, right? Oh, I get to teach on Sunday. That's my big thing. Everybody sees me, right? I go out internationally. I get emails from people all over the world that see the messages and they praise me. That's a big thing, right? It really is. That's all truth, by the way. That's a big thing. It really is. But what about me? What about my joy? It's all the little things. The little things populate my life a lot more than the hour or hour and a half I have with all of you one day a week. Do you see what I'm saying? This is huge, even though it's the little things. Big, big concept, even though it's the little things that comprise it. So in this parable, it's implied that the master was paying special attention to the little things up here on the board, a little more on the little things You know, the saying goes, integrity is doing the right thing when no one's watching. Integrity is doing the right thing when no one's watching. Well, God's always watching, and according to Holy Scripture, He's particularly gracious to those who are faithful in the little things, 
We just saw that, Matthew 25, 21, Luke 16, 10. Again, little things. They say integrity is doing the right thing when no one's watching. Well, God's always watching, and according to Holy Scripture, He's particularly gracious to those who are faithful in the little things. So I was thinking about that. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the story of a poor soul, um, you know, whose, whose father was beloved, loved outside of the house. Man, your father's the best, right? Boom, boom. Your father's great. I love your dad, right? But was an absolute jerk inside the household to his little family. Can't tell, I've heard that story more times than I wanted to think of. Loved on the outside, jerk on the inside. In other words, on the grand stage where the whole world could see him, he put on a great show. But when it was just him and the few folks that had to live with him, he was an absolute terror. God's watching that person and isn't impressed with all the big stuff, quote-unquote, he's doing to impress the world. He's not in, God's not impressed with the big stuff, the, the show. Another perfect example of this is in the workplace. When the boss leaves the job site, do you work as hard or maybe even harder when the boss isn't around? Or do you slack off here and there because he's not there or she's not there? Go to Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12. We're talking about integrity. And integrity has everything to do <clears throat> excuse me, with the little things. What do you do when no one's watching? When no one's around, except God, but we like to forget about him, but when no one else is around, does our integrity to what's right remain? Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, as if I was here in front of you, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, in, in the absence of the teacher, work out, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, do you see that little phrase, much more? Much more? What does that imply? Well, it means that we should be even more diligent to show ourselves approved by God in the absence of others. In the absence of anybody who even... And Paul really did have the right to judge the churches. He was an apostle. Judge righteously. 
It means that we should be even more diligent to show ourselves approved by God in the absence of others. In other words, that should be our place to shine. We should shine in the little things. Right? I'm thinking of even spiritual gifts. We give the, the lesser gifts more credit because they're shining in the little things. So it's a real show of integrity that Paul was writing about. And I firmly believed, believe that integrity is one of the great litmus tests we can give ourselves regarding our own character. I mean, when we look in the mirror, the question is, how do I do with all the little things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are like, oh, you're such a swell, swell boy, swell girl. Oh, you're so, you know, whatever. Whatever. I mean, if that brings you joy and it brings glory to God, I'm good with it. But when we look in the mirror and it's just us, um, what about the little things? What about our integrity to the little things? What about our character? Right? And I believe that's why a lot of people are miserable, because they look in the mirror and they realize they have very little, char- very little character and integrity towards truth, and God convicts them of it, and so they're miserable. Think about it. There are a lot of people out there with, you know, what we would call large reputations, right? Big reputations. And for a variety of reasons, it is what it is. But typically, the reason they have a big reputation, it's because of all the so-called big things the big things, you know, that they accomplish in sight of others, right? That's why they have a big reputation. It's because of the things that others see. It's the big things, you know what I mean? It's like, boom, everybody sees it, it's big. And so their reputation grows with it. Well, the Word of God has placed special emphasis on all the little things. Why? Because it's your faithfulness in the little things that indicates whether or not you're serious or just playing games. Let me say it again. It's your faithfulness in the little things that indicates whether or not you're serious or just playing games. Up here on the board, good actors. Good actors. Hollywood isn't the only source of actors, my friends. Hardly. Look around you, honestly. I don't mean right now, because some people are like, why are you looking at me? (laughs) Actors are everywhere. And honestly, some of the most gifted thespians, actors, are Christians. Again, Hollywood isn't the only source of actors. They are everywhere, and some of the most gifted thespians are Christians. I honestly believe that one of the aspects of discernment for pastors uh, is this very topic. Don't ask me why, but we can see phonies a mile away. That's all I'll say about that. Um, The point is, though, that Authenticity matters to God. 
Authenticity matters to God. Integrity is the substance of authenticity. In other words, you can't really proclaim yourself, listen, please, you can't really proclaim yourself a, you know, a giant in Christianity, for example, if you aren't faithful in the little things. Don't, in other words, don't take the fact that, I don't know, you, you, know, you came to church today or something like that. Don't take well-known things and account your growth, your sanctification on big things. Because that's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about faithfulness in all the little things. That's your litmus test. Okay? So you can't be a, a so-called giant in Christianity if you aren't faithful in the little things. To use Paul's athletic analogy, you can't claim victory in a race if you didn't abide by the rules. You follow? Yeah. Likewise, now concentrate up here on the board. This is we're gonna the spirit has a lot to say on this right now. When you can't claim blessings, this is one of my favorites. Right? Favorite I'm being uh, facetious, I guess I should say. I don't know if that's the right word. I'm being wise guy. Sarcastic, maybe. Um, you can't proclaim you're blessed by something that was ill-gotten. Imagine those twins. Woo! We run the marathon! Did you? Everybody else ran by themselves. Right? That's not a blessing. Yeah, but look at everybody showering their love on us. Everybody loves us, right? I get endorsements. I can become wealthy as a result. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, we do. Right? Who cares how I got there? Just that I'm here now. Mind you, politics, but whatever. Right? Who cares how I get there? Just that I get there. That the big things are what matter. No. Every little step you took in that marathon should matter. And if you're punting half of it to somebody else, you're kind of cheating. And you're not blessed as a result. So says Holy Scripture. That's the point. So you can't proclaim you're blessed by something that was ill-gotten. Reflect on this. For starters, uh, this runs completely, <clears throat> claiming you're blessed, runs completely contrary, or excuse me, the point on the board runs completely contrary to what the world wants you to believe. The world will tell you, just get there, right? Cut a little corner here, cut a little corner there, you know, cut someone's knees out here, cheat a little bit there, you know, when no one's looking, It's also in stark contrast to what the Spirit's been saying lately, which is the ends does not justify the means. The ends does not justify the means. You're better off going, listen, if it was a 100-step race, you're better off going 10 with integrity and then dying before you get to the end, honestly, than finishing the race because you're trading out with some other schmo that happens to be a twin or something like that. 
or jumping in a car, or you know, not walking at all, you know, thumbing for I don't know, whatever. You know, the analogy starts to run out. So, whatever. You get the point, right? You're better off going ten paces and dropping dead. What does the word say? You were faithful in the little things. You weren't faithful in I didn't ask you to be faithful in much. Matter of fact, from eternity past, I knew that you were only going to take 10 paces. I just wanted you to take those 10 paces with integrity. To you, I give much more. Right? And that goes for in time, too. If you want that joy, it has to come as a result of integrity. Otherwise, you're miserable. You might say, I'm really not, I'm really enjoying this money I made for my endorsements. No, you're not. You're setting yourself up for a big old crash. Right? You can call yourself blessed, but... God is not mocked. Not once has he ever been mocked. Not once. We reap what we sow. Again, the point on the board, when you can't claim blessings, you can't proclaim yourself blessed by something that was ill-gotten. So I was thinking about it. Here are a few examples that you might be familiar with, just to help drive it home. You can't proclaim you're blessed when... Your wealth is from dishonest business. You can't proclaim you're blessed when your godly reputation is void of faithfulness to the little things. Or I should say your so-called godly reputation. Your reputation is void of faithfulness to the little things. How about your religion is void of truth? From the word of God. I'm so blessed. I love Jesus. You don't even know. Whenever he tries to contact you through the word of God, you go, la, 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 I'm good. And here's the killer, the one that a lot of you need to listen to. You can't proclaim you're blessed when your best friends are friends of the world. You can't proclaim you're blessed when your best friends are friends of the world. You get the point. Again, the point on the board, when you can't claim blessings, you can't proclaim you're blessed by something that was ill-gotten. This has everything to do with integrity and being faithful in all things, not just the big stuff. Not just the big stuff. One last example and this goes for everyone in here. One last example I'm sure some of you hearing my voice right now have to contemplate. Is coming to church this morning on your big things list? <laughs> you know what I mean? Literally, is coming to church this morning on your big things list? I did that big thing. I do that big thing once a week or twice a week, whatever. Is that on your big things list? And I hope you know what I'm, I mean by that. In other words, is coming to church that thing you do so everyone else can see you acting all religious and righteous? 
And then you go back home and return to the mire. Is coming to church the thing you do so that others can see you acting all religious and so-called righteous? And then you just go home and return to the mire. Go to Proverbs 26, verse 11. Proverbs 26, verse 11. I think this happens probably more often than any of us like to admit. I think a lot of people go to church on a Sunday morning um, because they, they've categorized that as a big thing. Like, oh, I've got to do my big thing <laughs> so I can feel better about ignoring all the little things the rest of the week. <clears throat> you understand? So they come to church and they do this big thing and then they just walk cruising across that threshold to like, what do we got planned for today? Long weekend, right? I got a 30-pack all ready to go. I'm going to terrorize my family. Right? Do you get what I'm getting at? Like, this is the stuff. It's like, wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. What's Proverbs 26.11 say? Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Ow! Right? Ow! It kind of hurts, doesn't it? I don't know. I guess if you're that dog, I guess if you're that person who comes to church as a big thing and then just does a 180 and goes right back to ignoring all the little things, in other words, to abandon any form of integrity, any real form of integrity, that is, that's like a dog that returns to his vomit. Pretty graphic, huh? That's a fool who repeats his folly. Is that you after a Sunday service like this one? I don't know. Go to 2 Peter 2.22. 2 Peter 2, verse 22. 2 Peter 2.22. And this isn't for me to decide, right? This is between you and the Lord. I got my own problems. I'm just teaching the truth. This is the truth, by the way. And you should accept it as, as such. Um, and you shouldn't be trying to be lawyering right now in your soul. Second Peter 2.22. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. We just read that. And he adds a little color. The sow, after washing herself, sow is a pig, returns to wallow in the mire. Ow! Right? So... Come on, sweetie. This is you on Sunday, right? All the lipstick and the pumps. You're all dressed up in your Sunday's best. And as soon as you cross the chest, boom, jumping in the mire again. Oink, oink. <laughs> right? The big thing, in other words, is to get dressed up for the show. You right? That's the point. Again, the question on the table is, is coming to church a big thing for you? Is it a big thing for you? And do you go back to your life where all the little things are void of integrity to God's will for you? Again, is coming to church a big thing for you? And do you go back to your life where all the little things are void of integrity to God's will for you? 
I mean, if that describes your life right now, then please pay close attention to the point that's still on the board. Actually, oh, uh, yeah, that's it. When you can't claim blessings, you can't proclaim you're blessed by something that was ill-gotten. So don't say you live a blessed life when the Bible says it's not possible under your current circumstances and your current attitude and your current motivation, et cetera, et cetera, even your current behavior, your current system of thinking. Don't say you live a blessed life if the Bible says that's impossible given your situation. That's just you playing games. And here's the point. I'm not here to beat you down. This is to your own demise. That's what the Bible says. It's to your own demise. You play those games, you remain in a state of misery. Go to Galatians 6, verse 7. Galatians 6, verse 7. You're much better off functioning in integrity. Much better off. Galatians 6, verse 7. This never gets old. Not because it's a cracking of the whip. It's only a cracking of the whip for somebody who's disoriented to God. It's a beautiful form of encouragement, in the purest sense of encouragement, to the one who is oriented to God. Do you understand? Do not be deceived. Okay? God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, that's integrity, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season... We will reap if we do not give up. Okay? If we do not... Obviously, those two morons that tag-teamed the marathon, they gave up, didn't they? They said, well, looks like we're not ever going to be good enough to win this thing. God doesn't say you have to win. He says run as if to win. Right? You might be slow as molasses. Who cares? At least you took your own steps in the race. You follow? It's not about winning. It's running as if to win. You do the best that you can with what you've been given. That's the whole parable of the talents. Some of us are given 10 talents. means you can run like, you know, Mo Farah. He's a fast runner, right? Or, or you run like me. It's like I got like three talents when it comes to distance running anyways. Right? So you run, you run what you can run with. You run with what you're given and bring glory to God. But don't give up. That's the whole point. When you give up, you start cheating. You say, well, we can't win. can't do this fleshly thing. I can't do this big thing. I can't get this big thing done. So I'm going to start cheating and, you know, concocting and, you know what I'm saying, coming up with all kinds of fleshly devices and schemes to get there some other way, um, you know, basically live as a counterfeit without integrity, blah, 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 blah. Verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. 
For in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. As a friendly reminder, please don't think I'm ever teaching this message to disparage you. May it never be. I'm not here to try to discourage you. I'm doing everything I can to encourage you. But here's the disclaimer. What I teach, when I teach the truth like this, and it's raw, it will be disparaging to your flesh. And I won't apologize to your ridiculousness. In other words, if you've got any spark of like, you know, oh, I don't like that guy this morning. Mm, mm, mm. Right? Oh, mm, he keeps like going under my skin. I hate him sometimes, right? That's your flesh. It just goes to show what your flesh is doing when it hears the truth. So in, in, in some senses, I wouldn't be doing my job if your flesh was okay with it. Amen? If you're like, woo, and that's happening on Sunday mornings all over the planet right now, right? Because a bunch of false Christians gathering together. Woo, yeah, you know. I love this guy. This guy tells me everything I want to hear. Or you get someone like me tell, teaches the truth, and your flesh literally wants to strangle me. And why are you laughing over there? I don't even know what's going on, Ian. Right? You literally want to strangle. Why do you want to strangle me? Just the messenger. That's my disclaimer. This morning's message is meant to encourage you. If you're feeling discouraged, then consult your flesh, because that's the part of you that's throwing a tantrum. And dwell on that, for on the flip side, believers have the new creature, which always embraces the truth. So, in other words, if you're, if you're offended by this morning's message or you're being convicted, it's not your new creature, if you, still ha if you actually have one, that is, if you're a believer. It's your flesh. All right, so all of that was in support of this recurring principle up here on the board. In our studies, commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. There has to be substance behind your obedience, in other words, Right? It's not enough to simply, quote, obey for the sake of going through the motions. There's got to be godly faith applied because, listen, it's the journey that counts. If you're saved, it's a foregone conclusion you're going to heaven, eternal security, done deal, boom. God leaves us here after salvation, though, doesn't he? So if the big win of wins is already sealed, set in stone, he must have left you here for a reason. Yeah. Run the race with integrity that's set before you. Does that not mirror for the joy set before you? Does that not mirror carry your own cross? Do you see how this vector, it's just one thing after another? It's the same direction. Boom. Boom. Run that race as if to win. But I'm slow. Great. You got two talents. But I'm fast. Great, you got 10. Right? Just run the race with integrity. And don't compromise all the little things because it's the little things that will bring you the greatest joy. Coming to church may be a joyful thing. And in some times when you're really beat down, it might be the great joy. But come on. Am I going to say to you that I think this should be a great joy in life? 
No, this is where you get trained up. This is the mash tent, right? You go out there, mm, come back here, you get healed, you get equipped, boom, 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 get some more. Right? It's the journey. Michael, how many hours in a week? 160, I almost said it, 186. I got dyslexia. 168 hours a week, right? I got you for what? Two? Two and a half? That leaves how many? <laughs> right? 165 and a half, 166. Right? That's a lot of time to be missing out on joy. Amen? There you go. This is not the big thing. I mean, you know what I'm saying. It's the little things. That's the whopper. It's why it's reversed from the world. God says it's the journey. That's why I left you there. To reveal my grace, that my grace is sufficient, that you can have joy set before you, even though you have to carry a cross. You have a transcendent joy available to you. And it doesn't just occur to you on a Sunday morning. It's the journey. That's, in essence, what all the references to the little things is all about anyways. It's the journey. I mean, think about it this way. The, you know, the big thing in life is to what? as Paul wrote, finish the course up here on the board, right? That's the big thing. I just want to finish this course. Every time I run a, ra- a road race, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm like, oh, 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 right? I just want to finish this thing at this point. Just finish. Who cares, right? And I got ladies with baby carriages running by me, <laughs> little kids who are cheating. I kid you not. I'm running. For, I'm dying. Oh, my goodness. Sleet, I'm freezing. I'm like, oh my, this is horrible. Wasn't even in good shape. Some little kids behind me. We have to go around this big turn, like the size of this parking lot. It's someone's yard. You know, he runs right through the yard. I'm looking, I'm like this. If I catch you, which I can't, but if I could, we'd have words, buddy. Cheater. And then he comes across the line. Like way up there in front of him, I could see him. He's like, Mom, did you see me? I'm like, your kid's a cheater. <laughs> Disqualified. DQ. If I could just get up there. <laughs> right? The big thing is to finish the course. Acts 20, 24 up here on the board. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the, my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's the big thing, right? I just want to finish the race. I just want to finish the race. Again, the big thing really is to finish the course. But the Spirit's telling us it's how we do so that matters most in time. How do we do it? For as we noted in Abram's case, we may not even know where the finish line is. Imagine running that kind of race. Run as fast as you can. If 
about like two miles in, you're like, oh, man, I'm winded. Hey, Lord, when's this going to end? I, I don't, I haven't decided yet to tell you. So you don't know if you're going to run three miles or 300 or like Forrest Gump the rest of your year. Right? You don't know. You know what that does to your psyche? If you don't have the right uh, perspective on it, do you know what that does to your psyche? Think about that. You, you mean to tell me you want me to run as hard as I can as if to win, but I don't know where the, the end line is? No. No. And some of you are like, oh, my word, that's horrible. I'm going to take plan B, where I've got a little bit more control. Go to 2 Timothy 4, 6. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. God doesn't owe you anything. Did he not save you? Is that not enough? Have you forgotten? Do you think you're, you know, you're doing your duty by just showing up on, at church on Sunday morning? But all the rest of the 100 and, what did we say, 65.5 hours a week, you're off gallivanting and frolicking in the world? This is your payment. This is the big thing. I do, I do church. I do church. It's the big thing. Who suffers? 2 Timothy 4.6 For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have what? Kept the faith. Up here on the board. I have kept the faith. Finishing the race might have been the big thing, but keeping the faith along the way was comprised of all the little things. That was Paul's attitude. I want to finish. I want to do it with integrity. But I want to keep the faith along the way. I don't want my faith to drop during the week and then have this highlight reel on a Sunday because I went to church. Or I did some, quote, big thing. There's no joy in that. Do you understand? God's not mocked. He rewards those who are faithful. He says, if you're faithful in the little things, and I give you the bigger things. That's the pattern. So you want that joy so bad. Some of you, I, just, I want that joy so bad, and I just want to go to church, and I just want to take a big old pill, like pharmaceutical. I want a pill to make me feel better. Right? I want to be able to go to church once a week, twice a week, and I want to just take that as a pill, and I should feel better the rest of the week. No, that's not how it works. It's literally not how it works. It's how you live your life between the bookends, right? It's how you live your life day to day. It's all the little things. It's when, hey, when mom and dad say to you, can you please do the dishes for me? I'm beat. You just do them. Why? Love. Love. Or how about mom and dad doesn't have to say anything to you you see dishes and you do them. And mom and dad may never know, which means you don't have to go running to mom and dad and say, I did all the dishes, they didn't. I'm awesome, I deserve more allowance. That's basically what you're saying, whatever. I deserve more, you know, cuddle time, whatever. Brownie points, right? It's when no one's looking. It's when no one's looking that it matters. That's what matters. That's what brings you joy. 
That's what brings you joy. And a lot of you need to hear my voice. You're still miserable because you reject that notion. I just taught on it for what? 57 minutes now, right? And you're still sitting there rejecting what the Spirit just convicted of you as truth. You know it to be true. You reject it. And so you will remain, you will go right back to the mire. You will go right back like that dog and lap up the vomit that is called your life. And then you'll turn around, pick up the phone and say, I'm so blessed. Aren't I? Really? Then why are you so miserable on the inside? Because you keep rejecting the truth. You are not doing that. You are not keeping. I think the Greek word is tereo. It means to keep. You're not keeping the faith. You're leaving the faith at the threshold over there when you walk out of church. Say, my, my faith is inside there. My life is out here. This is for God. This is for me. Two and a half for him. 165.5 from me. God's like, I'm trying to tell you the truth. I'm trying to show you the way to joy. How to live your life with integrity. So that my commands, as I say in the Bible, are not burdensome. It's not a, a to-do list. It's me protecting you, you foolish child. Say, oh, but Dad, you're keeping me away from all the fun people. What the hell does that even mean, the fun people? You mean your flesh says those people are fun. Your flesh is like, I like that group. Me, them, and Billy Joel. Because only the good die young, right? I like, I like that group. <laughs> God is not mocked. That's, I did not say that. That's you dropping the faith. That's you not keeping the faith. Again, finishing the race might have been the big thing, but keeping the faith along the way was comprised of all the little things. Verse 7 again. You're still in 2 Timothy, right? 4-7. Uh, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And as we noted earlier in 2 Timothy 2-5, an athlete is not crowned, unless he competes according to the rules. Put those two things together. Look at what Paul writes next here. 2 Timothy 4.8 Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Ah, you see, that's, that goes to the faithful person, the faithful steward of their time. That again goes back to the parable of the talents. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The person who competes according to the rules is the one who receives recognition from the one who's always watching. Let me say that again, in case you missed it. It's a summary point. The person who competes according to the rules is the one who receives recognition from the one who's always watching. On that note, from Thursday's message up here on the board, God's view on religion, going to church because it's a big thing and playing that game, that's just religious, right? Up here on the board, God's view on religion, quote, the end goal, and this is just me, you know, taking liberty, 
as if God was speaking, but you get the point. The end goal is blessing for you. How you get there matters to me because it is by my grace that you are able to accomplish such a thing. Your faith is on full display, my child. It matters to me how you get there. It's the journey. Here's a little poem I found up here on the board from Helen Annis Casterline. She wrote, I go on not knowing. I would not if I might. I'd rather walk in the dark with God than walk alone in the light. I'd rather walk by faith with him than to walk alone by sight. That's beautiful. You might say, that's, that's really beautiful and simple even. And it really is. It really is. Worshiping the holy God of the universe really is an issue of simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Up here on the board, my recommendation, what the Bible says, keep it simple. Honestly, just keep it simple. Instead of living a double life, you know, the one that the line in the sand is the threshold, for example. Two and a half for God, 165.5 for me. That's a double life. Instead of doing that thing, instead of living a double life, um, where, you know, the big things are inconsistent with the little things, keep it simple by maintaining integrity to the Word of God, where both of these align righteously. If you want that joy, if you want those rewards, if you want God's grace, right? God gives grace to the humble. Instead of living a double life where the big things are inconsistent with the little things, keep it simple by maintaining integrity to the word of God where both of these align righteously. I was thinking about this too. Ever tell a lie? I mean, some of you are like, whoa, 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 mister. Get carried away. Seriously, ever tell a lie and be like, oh, crud, now I have to uphold a charade for as long as people keep coming back to that lie, right? You kind of doom yourself to work. It's like work. So you live in fear of someone calling you to the carpet. Or you fear being caught in the lie itself as an implication or as implications of it fail to play out the way you planned. So you just sit back and hope that the lie just sort of rides off into the sunset, <laughs> never to be seen or heard from again. But how often does that ever happen? It never happens because God's watching, first of all. But we can keep it to people. How often does that even ever happen? And if it never does, Lies have a habit of haunting you. Lies have a habit of haunting you. Some of you are miserable because you're perpetual liars. You're, what do you call it, chain, like chain smokers? You're like a chain liar. Right? The remedy, you ready? Drum roll! Up here on board. No extra charge. Don't lie. How about that? <gasps> Wait, what? Yeah, don't lie. Don't live a lie. There's no freedom in it. There's no freedom in it, therefore there's no joy. 
Don't lie. Don't live a lie. Live honestly and with integrity to truth. It's that simple? Yeah. It really is that simple. Then what's the problem? Well, honestly, what's the problem? Well, only you can address that question with the only one who's watched your every move and followed your every thought from the day you were born. That's why the Bible says dogmatically, pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. It's in prayer that God will reveal his thoughts on your life. Some of you are like, that's why I don't pray. Because i got to keep up this charade. He's just going to poke holes in my charade. Right? That's why a lot of times you won't ask for advice from somebody who has integrity. Because you know they're going to go right to the core of the issue and you'll be discovered and you don't want to be discovered. You want to call up your friend who's going to tell you what you want to hear, and then lie to you and say you're so blessed. That's the person you want to talk to. Well, your flesh does. Right? Prayer. The good thing about prayer is, too, he'll also bring up and bring into remembrance Holy Scripture. He will point things out for you perfectly, and you will be convicted. And if you're humble you will agree with his assessment and confess it to him. Say the same thing, that's all. Yep, you're right, Lord. I've been living a lie. I've been lying. Um, my integrity is, is basically vapid. And that is where you will make your greatest strides in this life. Did you hear what the Spirit just said? I'll, I'll help you up here on the board. You will make your longest strides while on your knees. Does that make sense? Some of you are like, that looks funny. You're going to run a marathon on your knees? You might be missing the point, people. You will make your longest strides while on your knees, meaning in prayer. You are here to run the race, right? Run as if to win, right? How in the world do you expect to win if you don't pray? You're gonna, you don't even know where the course takes you. You're going to be running over there. All inefficient-like. Bad enough, you've got to run 26.2. Is that, oh, 26, what is it? What's a marathon? 26.2, right? 26.2. Bad enough. You want to make it 46.2? Because you're running like an S. What do you want to do here? What do you guys want to do here? Sausage fingers. <laughs> you will make your longest strides while on your knees. Let's read again that magnificent passage. I've got to pick a spot here. We're getting that's not too bad. Right, we've got another couple hours. I'm just thinking about the threshold. I'd like to turn it from two and a half to three and a half. That's all. Some of you, that'd be like, whoa, too much. Go to Ephesians 5, 1. Ephesians 5, verse 1. You ever heard that comedian, Michael Jr.? God, he's so funny. 
He tells about how he went to church when he was a kid with his grandmother. And it was like eight hours long. Go like halfway through, we go down in the basement. And they have like chicken dinner. Then they go back up and have more. Anyways. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Seek the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit. Up here on the board, Ephesians 6.11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, you are not able otherwise, to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay? Hence our reading again. Verse 19, you're still in 5.19, right? Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, sound biblical teaching in other words, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Up here on the board, 1 Peter 5.8, on that note of test everything, be sober-minded, be watchful. We just saw that. Test everything. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 22, abstain from every form of evil. Now, after that, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. What a blessing. Don't miss that last part of verse 24. He will surely do it. You see? He says, I will show you where you're going in my good timing, Abram. Oh, you fill in your own name. And I promise, I will surely complete a good work that I started in you at salvation. You just go. He's called you into that direction, right? You go. He surely will do it. How's that for a promise? Have integrity to the way. So again, that sounds like a promise to me. And that seems like a fine place to stop for today. And just a friendly reminder, after I close in prayer, after communion service, I'm going to show you a video of our new class song, okay? With that said, let's get the elements ready, gentlemen. Do we really not have any music? There you go.
Thank you, gentlemen. A lot to think about. I'll keep it short here, but um, take a good synopsis, uh, a prayerful one, on what the Spirit had to say about, I think, integrity most of all this day. Just think about your integrity to the little things. Stop for a moment focusing on the big things and really give it some thought. Really give it some sound, heartfelt, prayerful thought, the little things. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of the person of Jesus. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup in remembrance of his work. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for making us laugh a little, even at our own ridiculousness, Father. Thank you for always keeping it real. Thank you for not disparaging us, but encouraging us, no matter what. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this spiritual gift, Father. Thank you for the other spiritual gifts that strive to keep this place up and running. Thank you for all the giving over the years, Father. Thank you for the fellowship. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls this day. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to turn the lights off.